you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. If you're new, we're in a year-long series. We're getting a big picture overview of the Bible. And uh, for the last few weeks, we have been in the book of Acts. So we're looking at the early church and talking about what does it look like for us now, 2,000 years later, to be the church faithful today in the here and now in Mankato, what God is calling us to. And Acts chapter 10 is one of those texts that as I read it, I, I know I had read it before, but it's a story that in, uh, in some very convicting ways, I think, is going to sit with us this morning and help us uh, more faithfully be who God has us to be. So let's pray as we head into the text. Father, these are good words. These are words from you. Um, and Lord, I believe they're for us this morning. And for some this morning, God, they're going to be words of profound encouragement, um, of hope. And for others of us in this room, God, they're, they're going to nudge us. They're going to challenge us. They're going to convict us. And so, Lord, would they be your words this morning? Would you speak in the way that you need to? Pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Amen. Acts chapter 10 will be on the screen as well. If you don't have a Bible, it begins by saying this. And we're going to, this is a long text. We're going to read down through the whole thing because um, it's a story that, that, that is so, so important. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman officer named Cornelius who was a captain of the Italian regiment. So here we have a Gentile in the first century in the Bible. You talk often about Jews and Gentiles. So a Gentile is anybody that is not an Israelite. And this guy oversees three to 600 soldiers. Verse 2 goes on to describe him. He's a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. And if you look at him, basically the language is trying to tell us that he on some level is religious. It's normal language of that day. It's not overly descriptive, but it says he's religious, that he had turned from paganism he had understood how bankrupt paganism was, and he's turned most likely to Israel's God, this monotheistic one God. And that's who this guy is. In the book of Acts, what we're going to find in chapter 10, the book of Acts up until this point has had a very Jewish, Israel feel to what Christianity is looking like in the first century. And now in chapter 10, the Gentiles are invited into it, and the story is so intriguing. And here it goes, verse 3. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. And some of you know that's one of the apostles, one of the leaders of the early church, the big gregarious personality, the one who had denied Jesus three times. Simon's staying with a guy named Simon. Simon Peter's staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened. He sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was noon. He was hungry. But while a meal being prepared, he fell into trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. And the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. And if we understand first century Judaism and the dietary laws, the, the things they can and cannot eat, this 
command is against everything that a faithful Jew would have viewed important. What God is doing, God's beginning to overturn Peter's reluctance to bring the good news about Jesus Christ to people outside of Judaism. And so Peter responds, no, Lord. I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean, but the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. And that's important. The idea that he denied three times and now the same vision is being repeated three times so that Peter becomes the apostle that leads bringing Jesus Christ, bringing the good news to people outside of Judaism is such a big deal. Now it may have been three times that because he's a guy and we guys need to hear it three times, right? Before we get it. But I think it's the previous. So then the sheet is suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter is perplexed. And he says, what could this vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent you. So Peter went down and said, I am the man you are looking for. Why have you come? They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that we can hear the message. And the, even that, the invitation for a faithful Jew to maybe enter a Gentile's house, that's something that you just don't do. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa, they arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and, and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter, entered his, as Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and stand up. I am a human just like you. We don't have a ton of time to spend here, but I think this is important. I think it's important that we understand there is one name, one person to which we bow, and that's Jesus Christ. Um, and in a world, sort of a celebrity culture world, that's a hard thing for us to get. And that celebrity culture world often seeps into Christianity. Philippians 2 says, only at the name of Jesus will every knee bow. It's important for us to understand. Keep going, verse 27. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. So he's going against everything he knows because he's been commanded by God. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Underline that line there. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why I was sent for. Cornelius replied, replied, Four days ago, I was praying in my house about the same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying in the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here, and you can picture it. This is a wealthy person's home, a good-sized home. All these people are gathered together just waiting for Simon Peter to come in and teach them, waiting before God to hear the message that the Lord has given them. This is basically like a church service where 100% of the people get there 10 minutes early, right? Like sort of shocking. Everybody's there. They're ready to go. It's Easter. Verse 34. 
Then Peter replied, another, another line we're going to pick apart a little bit at the end. I see very, clear, very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. And one another thing that we just don't have a ton of time to talk about this, this morning, but is in this text, is what it looks like for racial reconciliation to happen. This is fully about the gospel going to everybody, but it's about the fact that the gospel puts everyone, all people, all humanity on the same playing field. Too often Christianity has been the forefront of things that weren't right around racial injustice. And this passage invites us to be different. Verse 36. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ who is Lord of who? All. You know what happened throughout Judea beginning in Galilee after... John began preaching his message of baptism, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses to all he did, his life, all he did throughout Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to, to appear, not to the general public, but to those of us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. That's important because he literally rose from the dead. People sat around tables and ate food and drank wine with Jesus. And he ordered us to preach everywhere to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God, God to be judge of all. That that all who are invited into relationship with Jesus, all will one day stand before Jesus as well. The living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about saying that Everyone who believes in him, everyone who trusts in him, will have their sins forgiven through his name. Such an important line there. Verse 44, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed by the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. That language there, it's similar to Pentecost. So it happened at Pentecost in the first couple chapters that was just to, Jew, to the Jews, sort of Jewish believers following Jesus. Now it's happening to the Gentiles. So we're on a level playing field. Then Peter asked, Can anyone object to their being baptized? Now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, so he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. Friends, the point of this chapter, it's one that's crystal clear. There's a lot of things we can talk about. At the end of the day, the point of this chapter is crystal clear, and it's this, that the good news about who Jesus is and who, what Jesus did is for everyone, period. It may not sound like a lot, but it is. That the good news about who Jesus is and what Jesus did, it's for everyone, period. And if we think about it from that lens, it is so applicable to us today. This is a story, this is a narrative that we need to hear and we need to let in our hearts. So I want to start with a question. If this is for us today, let's start with a question. The question is this. Why do we tend to build barriers that leave others out? Why do we tend to build barriers that leave others out? Because we do. It's interesting in Judaism for the people of Israel, if you go all the way back to Genesis 12 and 15, and God had given this call on Abraham, who was their father, he said, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing to who? All nations. 
And for some reason, over the course of time, that had become distorted. And we can ask ourselves, like, why do we begin? Why did Judaism, why did Israel build up these barriers? Was it fear? Was it power? Was it comfort? Why did they begin to put laws and regulations and policies and whatever else in place so that they would begin to sort of all look alike? It's interesting, the story in the Gospels of Jesus coming in and overturning the table is actually about this. It's about people being left out of the religious system. They were charging too much for sacrifices. And so Jesus comes in and turns it over and says, that's not how my way works. But yet we do it. We tend to leave people out. We're good at being with people like us, aren't we? Remember back in the day, the high school lunchroom? What does the high school lunchroom look like? All these different groups and pockets of people who are alike. I was running with a friend last summer. I need to start running more this summer. I was running with a friend last summer, and we were, we were starting this Bible study, and one of the first things we sort of had to break down was, why do we do that? Why are we prone to leave people out? Why are we prone to just be around people like us? And we talked about this idea that so often we look at someone that we think is inferior to us, and we say, they just don't get it. You've never said that, right? You look at someone who's not you and maybe not like you and maybe not as smart as you, you think, and you say, they just don't get it. We're so prone to be with people like us. And I love verse 28. The voice, which is a translation, the voice version of uh, verse 28 says this, but God has shown me something in recent days. I should no longer consider any human beneath me or unclean. Whew. Can we be honest? That's hard. But it's part of the gospel. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then it's also the invitation for how you and I are supposed to live. Paul in Philippians says it this way, that we should esteem others as better than ourselves. So what if we started a church practice where you would have to stand at the door and every person that came in, you'd have to look them in the eyes and say, I esteem you as better than me. And you had to mean it. What if you had to do that in your neighborhood? What if you had to do that on your sports team, especially that player that gets on your nerves, that coach that maybe demeans you? Why are we so prone to act in a way that is the antithesis of the gospel? Verse 34 says this. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. We build barriers, but the invitation of the gospel and what God is about is the exact opposite. This idea of favoritism simply means to show no partiality. And most of us in here, we understand the idea of favoritism. We understand a coach that plays favorites, a teacher that plays favorites, maybe a parent that played favorites. We get the negative side of it. But what is the positive? About 15 years ago, my Grandma Robinson, my mom's mom, passed away, and we were all gathered in Denver for a funeral, 17 grandchildren hanging out, having a great time reconnecting, and someone said this line, I don't know if you guys knew this, but Grandma told me that I was her favorite. And then the next grandchild said, whoa, Grandma told me that I was her favorite. And you literally could go around the circle, all 17 kids saying, Grandma told me I was her favorite. And for me, it was one of those holy moments where it maybe gets at the heart of God in this place. 
that God looks at every person, every child in this room, and there's no partiality. There's no better, there's no worse. There's no richer, there's no poorer, there's no color, whatever list you want to put in. Because here's the biblical truth. Every person in this room is created in the image of God. God made you to be you, to reflect his love and grace to the world around you. Well, at the same time, every person in this room is marred by sin. We're broken, we're selfish, we're full of shame, we're messed up. And the invitation of this passage is that every person is invited to put their faith in Jesus Christ. In that, there's a reminder, and the reminder is this. The reminder is that the good news is so, this is probably one of the most beautiful passages in the New Testament. You could say, the gospel is summed up here. What people are invited to believe is summed up right here. Look at verse 38. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with with the Holy Spirit and with power. So he's sent by God. He's God in human form. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles were witnesses of all that he did throughout Judea and Jerusalem. So his life, everything that he did, that's part of the gospel. The gospel is a person. It's Jesus. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but he was raised to life on the third day. And God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to this group of people, and he ate with them. Then we come to verse 33, second part of that verse, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. I think we could probably say that the point of this passage could be stated a little more, um, I would hope, in a convicting way, and I would put it this way. It is about faith in Jesus plus nothing for everyone. It's the point of Acts 10. You don't have to be an Israelite. You don't have to obey all these laws. It doesn't matter what race you are. That the good news about the God who created you, the God who pursues you even in your brokenness, is that the simplicity of the gospel is trust in Jesus plus nothing, plus nothing. And that's for everyone. Because I know on any given Sunday at Crossview Covenant Church, there's people coming in. Maybe you're giving church one last try. Maybe you're back after a long time away. And you thought it was about a building. You thought about maybe about a list of rules. This is what it's about. The only thing that we're about, the most important thing that we're about, is that the good news is faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing for everyone. And for some of us in this room, that's a challenging statement because we don't like the plus nothing. We want to put our list of rules. We want people to get to a certain place before they come to church or put their faith in Jesus Christ. And the thing that we share is this. That the best news humanity has ever heard, the best news that you get to share with everyone around you is that the good news is Jesus Christ for everyone plus nothing. And it's simple trust, friends. There's nothing more than that. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't claw your way to it. 
that God comes towards you and says, trust in me. Receive forgiveness, receive freedom, receive new life. That's the point of Acts chapter 10. And that's for everyone. Father, this is such good news. It's good news. It's good news on a big level. Around issues of our day that are complex. That you look at all of your creation, no matter how messed up, how broken we are. And this story's for everyone. So God, for anybody in this room who's come and with shame, with pride, whatever it is, they needed to hear that a relationship with the living God is this simple reality, faith in you, trust in you, plus nothing. No striving, no earning. And then God, I pray that we, your church, this would be the good news we share. Pray this in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Please stand.